Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst for MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. No guests today, but we have a lot of stuff we want to get to. The Blue Jays are going to Dunedin for a while. The A's are making some moves, and we are going to try to guess Buster Olney's mystery team, which I'm actually pretty excited about. But we always start off with our opener, which is the most important topic. And I'm speaking for myself and probably also Matt. Sometimes I'm like, what are we going to talk about tomorrow? I don't really know. And sometimes the night before we record, a player signs a 14 year deal for three hundred and forty million dollars. And Matt, I think I know what we're going to start our show off with. Fernando Tatis for all the years, all the dollars, the third largest deal in MLB history. He turned 22 in January, a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure where you start with this. Obviously, the the big numbers here are the years and the dollars, but I want to hear what you have to think about this first. Were you shocked this happened like now? You know, at this point in his career where he has played 143 total games, obviously we only had a 60 game season last year, but he played half of 2019, almost every game in 2020, still 143 total games signed for 14 years. What about the timing of this for you? I'm not surprised. I mean, there were some murmurs about the, an extension a, a month or so ago, and those got shot down, but it led me to believe that there was some conversation that was happening. There's often a lot of extensions that happen uh, this time of year um, before you know, right spring training, beginning of spring training. So the timing in that regard makes sense. Now, y- you could argue that you know maybe if he'd waited, he could have, in a year or two, he could have gotten a much bigger payday. But also... The collective bargaining agreement is up at the end of this year, and there's going to be some changes. We don't know what those are going to look like. So for a lot of players, there might be some impetus now to sign a deal, knowing that, like, who knows how things are going to look different. There's some belief that there's going to be a lot of changes, and it could change the whole landscape of, like, how players are paid, how arbitration works, all that stuff. Um, So it's hard to blame a guy for... um, Jumping at uh, that kind of money when it became available to him. $340 million. And I keep thinking it's a team friendly, excuse me. (laughs) Yeah, a team friendly deal for $340 million. So the way this works is um, he had four more years remaining of team control. So they're really buying out 10 years of free agency. Over the next four years, and this is all a report I saw from John Heyman, he's going to get $34 million over the next four years. It's an average of $8.5 million per year. And it's actually broken down, so he's getting $1 million this year. That's it. And then 5 and then 7 and then 11 And then after that, he's going to get a you know 10 years of free agency bought out, which if you 
do some guessing at what the arbitration numbers would have been. It's like four years from now, we'll give you the deal that Manny Machado got two years ago, more or less, right? Like there's your extra 10 for 300. And if you spread it out over the 14 years, you will have an average annual value of 24.2 million, which is like a lot of money for me and for you. But in terms of baseball, that's not like superstar money necessarily, right? I mean, look what Trevor Bauer just got for for two years probably before he opts out. It's it's risky, right? Because if he gets hurt um, or if he just doesn't perform, that's a whole lot of money. But I, I've seen nothing to indicate that the talent isn't real. Like he just led the majors in hard hit rate. You know, if you look at the highest OPS ever, OPS plus through age 21 with a minimum of 600 plate appearances. Here's the list. Here's the all time list. Number one, Mike Trout. Shocking, right? Number two, Cap Anson. That's like prehistoric baseball. It barely counts. Number three, Ted Williams, Pujols, Jimmy Fox, Rogers Hornsby, Fernando Tatis Jr. Just ahead of Ty Cobb and Juan Soto. Those are some dudes. <laughs> like those are some guys. So like there is obvious risk here, but I think it would almost be riskier to let it play out and then try to sign him in like two years. Yeah, and I think this this is where it kind of comes back to two years ago, right? Where um, the Padres put him on their opening day roster before 2019, and you know, from a team building standpoint, you know, you could say that that was not quote unquote smart because if you keep a player in the in the minor leagues for about two weeks. Um, a rookie that is like um, a rookie with no service time in the minor leagues for two weeks or so, give or take, you almost get a full extra year of service time. So you almost get like a seventh year of team control, right? But by virtue of the Padres, to their credit, trying to put the best team on the field, um, opening day 2019, they basically sacrificed that. So in some ways, the onus was more on the po- the urgency was more on the Padres right now because um, if if they had kind of kept him in the minors, they would have had a little more time to kind of make this determination of like, do we want to lock him up long term? Um, and actually, or any, and just have him for an extra year and maybe decide it was worth the trade off of like, you know what, we're going to have him for seven years and then maybe we'll let him walk as a free agent. But by putting him on that opening day roster, it moved up the timeline a little bit and, you know, good, good for the club, um, for making it happen. I think it's, I think it's great when these kinds of deals happen. I, I, it's, you know, we've seen more, we've seen the, the, a lot of, a lot of teams do this. This is one of the more lucrative ones we've seen in recent years. You know, the, the deals that like some of the White Sox sign with their prospects and young guys, a lot of them happen before the guys were even in the majors. So that helped them kind of make them a little more quote unquote club friendly um, with like Luis Robert and um, Yohan Moncada. Um, and then like Acuna and Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies with the Braves. Those were incredibly quote unquote club friendly deals. But this that's is one, one way- that's one way to put it. <laughs> I mean, man, <laughs> you know. It's still, you know, it's still crazy amounts of money. Um, so it's hard to, you know, criticize a player. Maybe it, uh, but when you look at when you look at um, what Tatis signed for, it obviously makes it more glaring. The um, the terms that uh, Acuna came to. If you look at the Padres infield right now, Machado is under contract for three hundred million. Tatis for three hundred and eighty and forty million. Eric Hosmer for one hundred and forty four million. That is for the three of them seven hundred and eighty four million dollars worth of contract plus. 33 extra million for Haseon Kim, including $5 million fee to uh, to his team, Kiwum. Um, that's a lot of money for an infield. It's not all overlapping, though, because, you know, like we said earlier, Tatis doesn't really get that much money until 2025. That's his first free agent year. And that's Hosmer's final year. You know, Dar- Darvish and Snell are only signed through 2023. When I look at this deal, the winners here, I mean, Tatis is the winner. He just got $340 million guaranteed to him. The Padres are winners because everybody thinks Tatis is going to be like a Hall of Fame talent. Padres fans are winners. I think there's two sets of losers here. Uh, I would say 
the three teams in the National League West who are not the Dodgers have to be really looking at their futures and having a lot of questions. And I would also argue that Mike Rizzo, the GM of the Washington Nationals, is really wishing he'd been able to get a contract extension with Juan Soto, let's say, yesterday, because uh, I think they're going to be looking at this and saying, it's true, Soto's not a shortstop, so fine, right? But he is going to be in this ballpark, um, I would think. Anyway, back to Tatis. He is, I don't know how to put this properly, like the right guy for this, right? Like he is, if baseball is going to have a next superstar, the next face of baseball, right? He is the cover athlete for MLB The Show, the video game. He is the number one card in the new Tops deck. He's got ad deals with Gatorade and Adidas and Hyper Ice, which I definitely know what that is. <laughs> uh, Mizuno gloves. You know, he he is um, he's interested in being like out front, not just a great player, but a great ambassador for the game. Like you think about who, who have those guys been? You know, Ken Griffey Jr. has been one of those guys. We talked about that a, a couple weeks ago, right? Um, he's that guy. And now he's getting paid like it. And I'm I'm excited for what this means for baseball going forward. Like, I don't want to hear any garbage about how San Diego is a small market. and He'd be better off as a Yankee. Like, no, where did, where did Griffey play? Right. Is Seattle like the center of the media universe? Was Cleveland when LeBron James? No, like this is great. I'm happy that he stays with the team that signed him and he doesn't end up with one of the big market teams. I think it's good for baseball. Totally. And I think the, the Seattle comparison is a, is a great point as, as it pertains to Ken Griffey Jr. Like, if you're cool, that's the point of being a transcendent athlete. Like if you are transcendent, it does not matter where you play, right? right? Like some players in New York get more attention because they are in New York, right? Like, you know, this is like, you know, maybe we'll call this like the Matt Harvey phenomenon. Um, <laughs> yes. But like if you are truly transcendent, it doesn't matter where you play. And what's interesting with the Padres, to me at least, is that like with the Chargers leaving town, they are now, are they the only city that has is baseball and no other pro sport? I think that's true. Uh, whoa. I, think, I think they are now the only baseball only city remaining. I guess you could, if you count, you know, even even Anaheim is a hockey team. Well, they got the Ducks, yeah. Um, I, I so, wish you'd ask me that question while I had a chance to actually think through it rather than um, slowly speaking on the air to think about it. No, I think you're right. Um, and so, and unless so you I want think, to count Dunedin or Buffalo, but we'll get into them later. The other thing that stands out to me from a Padres standpoint is that with the Chargers leaving town, they're the biggest game in San Diego. And I think this it's really great to see the front office and ownership invest in this team, knowing that they really have a chance to um, unite the city around this team. Like there are other smaller pro teams in the city, but like the Padres are definitely the biggest game in town. And this is really a way of this Tatis deal is a way to seize on that. Um, they have built a team, even like, you know, Darvish is, is there under contract through 2022 or 2023. Um, 23. 20, 23. Machado for a few more years, as mentioned. Um, then they have another, you know, Blake Snell's under contract through 2023. Like this team is like, you know, they've, they've, they've got something here for a couple of years now. And they have another wave of, of kind of guys coming. And that to me, that's sort of interesting for from a team building perspective is what these, this deal might mean for, say, like a Mackenzie Gore, if, you know, their left handed pitching prospect, if he lives up to the hype. Um, but we'll cross that bridge when, when they come to it. They're, a really good team now. They're well set up for the future. The NOS now feels like the AL East like 15 years ago when the Yankees and Red Sox were outspending almost all of baseball and the rest of the teams, the other, you know, even like the, the Blue Jays are putting together like 85 win seasons and couldn't sniff the playoffs. Uh, somebody's going to, I was trying to think through baseball only towns and I think someone's going to throw the A's at us because the Raiders went to Vegas and the Warriors moved across the Bay to San Francisco. 
technicalities. It's not quite the same. You know, it, like there's still local teams that you can get to. The other thing about Tatis is so Dan Zimborski, who runs the Zips projection system, he he and Ben Clemens wrote about this at Fangraphs. He actually has a 14-year Zips projection. Now, I think it's optimistic that we will have, you know, an earth or a country or a sport in 14 years. But, you know, if this is what the system is going to say, nine straight years, he is projected for five plus wins above replacement. That's actually 10 if you want to round up that 2020-34.7. That is superstar level. Like if he hits that, we are talking about a Hall of Famer. He just turned 22. I don't want to know what White Sox fans think about all this, but it's going to be okay. White Sox Padres World Series this year. They'll get to see him uh, firsthand. So that is a pretty fun way to start off our show and really start off spring training with some pretty earth-shaking news. We will take a quick break and we will be back with our three batter minimum. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We'll move into our three batter minimum, our three interesting topics for the week. Number one, the Dunedin slash Buffalo slash maybe Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays, after playing off last season in Buffalo, will start their year at their spring training home in Dunedin, Florida, at least for their first four series through May 2nd. So that's against the Angels, the Yankees, the Nationals, and the Braves. After that, it's sort of TBD. Um, Keegan Matheson, who's our BlueJays.com beat reporter, quoted Mark Shapiro, who is uh, Mark Shapiro, excuse me, the president of the Blue Jays, as saying, the club's 2021 plan likely includes some combination of Dunedin, Buffalo, and Toronto. If you happen to run any sort of stats service that tries to park adjust players, heaven help you. You will need it this year because <laughs> calling three parks home at once, I don't even know where you start. Um, the Dunedin ballpark is 24 miles north of Tropicana Field, so that'll be a nice little road trip if the if they're still there when they, they play the Rays. Um, it's one mile from the beach, and it's an A-ball park. Now, it's interesting because they have recently renovated it. Um, the Dunedin Blue Jays have been in existence since 1987. The first three years they played at, at somewhere called Grant Field and then at TD Ballpark from 1990 through 2018. In 2019, as the park was being renovated, they had to leave. They had to go play in Clearwater and there was no season last year. So now not only will we have major leaguers in a minor league park, it's a newly renovated park, which we haven't seen baseball in in three seasons. 
I don't know how you can express more clearly how much uncertainty there's going to be about this. It's it's going to be fun, I think. Right? <laughs> I mean, might as well like try and I mean, it's it's unfortunate that it has to come to this. I mean, they're obviously doing it for good reasons because of, you know, COVID safety and obviously there's issues with this, you know, with the international travel and like it's 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 a mess, but like as, you know, observers of baseball, it's interesting. Um and you know, we'll, you know, it's hard to um know exactly how it's going to play out, but we do have a sense that um, Dunedin is pretty friendly to hitters and it could lead to some extreme outcomes. Yeah, it's interesting because the Blue Jays, since they have this young core of hitters, some of these guys played there. Like in 2017, Bo Bichette, Vlad Jr., Kevin Biggio all played in Dunedin. And at the time, it was considered a hitter's park um, from, from what I could see from local reporters. They're like, when the wind blows out to left center field, just like, forget it. You know, that's going to carry the ball out. And if you try to look at minor league park factors from that time, which are really difficult to do, but I, I found an article from 2019 at MILB.com from Sam Dykstra, who said in the, the two seasons before renovations, uh, it had a 106 park factor for runs. So 100 being league average for the league. So this is 6% above average and a 113 park factor for home runs. So that's 13% above average. It's a little difficult to know for sure what the dimensions are going to be. Um, what I could find said that Dunedin is 380 feet to left and 363 feet to right, which would be the shortest right center field in baseball. The range is 370 feet in the right field power alley in Cincinnati to 403 in Detroit. But I also found an article in 2017 that was reported as the field dimensions and wall heights will exactly match those at Rogers Center, which is exactly the opposite. I don't actually know what it's going to be. Um, but if that's true, if you've got the wind blown out to the left, and the shortest right center field ballpark in baseball. And you're going to get, let's go back to those teams I talked about, by the way, the Angels, the Yankees, the Nationals, and the Braves. Can you think of any power hitters on those teams? <laughs> do, do any Mike Trout, the entire Yankees lineup, Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman? If you're a Blue Jays pitcher, I think I might just go back home. Like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> as uh, as as uh, Keegan uh, tweeted this morning, he said, "Playing out of TD Ballpark will be will be a dream for hitters. For pitchers, it will uh, build character and encourage the value of ground balls." <laughs> so clearly, this is a this is a thing, and it's going to be a thing. Um, you know, it, it's, it's also going to be, be uh, for those who play fantasy baseball could also wreak havoc on fantasy seasons. I think. Uh, uh, Rowdy Telez, who's the probably the best left-handed power hitter on the uh, Blue Jays roster, will suddenly be um, will suddenly be a, a valuable pickup, um, at least for the first uh, couple months of the season, because he could see his uh, his home run numbers uh, rise a bit. Um, and uh, I guess uh, Kevin Biggio as well. That, not that not that right-handed hitters won't take advantage either, but I was specifically curious about the left-hand hitters on uh, on the Blue Jays. I'm looking at the map right now. It is like four blocks from the water. It doesn't look like it's from the beach because it, it looks like there's a highway uh, and then like a green grassy park, but it does appear you could watch a major league game and then go into the Gulf of Mexico or I guess whatever this little, uh, there's like a spit of land beyond that. But anyway, you can get to the water from a major league game within like 15 minutes, which I got to say sounds wonderful. I want to do that. Our second item here. Hey, the A's, the A's have finally done some stuff, especially in the bullpen. Um, the A's, it was reported just this morning, will sign Trevor Rosenthal for a one-year deal, $11 million, who was very good last year. They traded for Adam Kalarik from the Dodgers, who's a lefty sinker baller. They re-signed Yusmero Petit. 
They brought in Sergio Romo. I think I saw this morning they also signed Mitch Moreland. And as uh, Martin Gallegos, our A's.com beat reporter, put it, the reported salaries for Petit, Romo, Moreland, and Rosenthal come out to about $18 million for this year, which is exactly what Marcus Simeon got for his one-year deal from Toronto. For $18 million for one year, do you want Simeon or do you want those four guys? I think I probably want those four guys. You don't sound very uh, convinced about this. <laughs> I think I want those four guys. Okay. I mean, that's. I mean, I think that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm sort of a Simeon skeptic um, overall in general, and I also just think that like the the A's, you know, whatever you like in terms of how they're going to build their team, whether or not you agree with it or not, they're clearly like focus, always focused on having depth and not being too reliant on one specific player, and so like you know, for the, you know, for diversifying your investments for you know whatever you know uh, analogy you want to use, it makes more sense to try and add a, a, a bunch of players who can help you in different ways. Whereas like Simeon was not a one-year wonder, but he definitely had one outlier season. And, you know, if you only had X amount to spend, I think you're probably better off trying to to fill a few holes. So the A's bullpen, you know, I think we looked at the Oakland team all winter and we we're just focusing on what they lost, right? Liam Hendricks is arguably the best pitcher, best relief pitcher in baseball. And he went to the White Sox and Simeon went to the Blue Jays. And Robbie Grossman left and Tommy LaStella left and they'd added pretty much nothing. I guess they traded Chris Davis for, for Elvis Andrus. But now, you know, they've made all these moves the last couple of days. And if you look at this bullpen, so Rosenthal was really good last year. He's sort of a traditional, just like right-handed flamethrower. Here's my fastball, hit it or die trying. You know, Jake Diekman is a, a lefty guy with a good, good slider. And, you know, Romo is sliders from the right side. And Petit doesn't throw hard, but he's always had that quote-unquote invisible um, Kalarik is a left-handed sinker baller and you know, a Lutrino was really good two years ago, right? And what they seem to have done is to build a bullpen full of guys with really, really different looks. So Bob Melvin, their manager was asked about this, uh, this morning, and I'm going to quote here in theory, I'm sure this was by design youth power touch arm angles. It definitely poses some potential problems for other teams and how you kind of match it up. There's a lot of analytics that are thrown out there now to determine who follows who, and what it looks like potentially. And we have guys that can do a lot of things and do something differently. And I know what that reminds me of. It reminds me of last postseason when I can't remember if it was Fox or TBS or both came up with that evil cursed raise alarm clock from hell with all the arms doing the different arm angles. Um, this sort of reminds me of that. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it, it's exactly what that is in my mind. And I think that, it, it you know, when you're trying to find I don't know if undervalued relievers is the right way to say because <clears throat> obviously in this case, you know, Trevor Tre- Tre- Rosenthal is certainly not over- undervalued. I think it's more about, um, you know, trying to find like you can the idea of maybe you can find a little bit of an edge if like by by pitching on a team with a variety of arms, it makes a variety of arm angles. It makes your guy like maybe like you know a few percent better better that that that's that has a value that kind of can't be quantified by the. Um, like basically the argument is Sergio Romo is less value on a team full of Sergio Romos than he is on a team with a whole variety of guys where suddenly his stuff will play up because he's nothing like any other pitcher you're going to face in that game. That, yeah, I mean, that sounds great in theory. I remember I wrote about this with the Rays last year and I had a hard time quantifying that being true, you know, and I was actually really surprised. I reached out to some people in the industry, like friends with teams and, and, you know, people who write a baseball prospectus or work for driveline. I'm like, Hey, have you ever like really sat down and tried to quantify different looks within a game, you know, like a lefty flamethrower and then a righty sinker ball or whatever. And nobody really had, you'd, you'd think after all this time that somebody 
there, there couldn't be a topic we haven't looked into yet. And if anybody wants to do that and send it to us, I would absolutely love to look at it. Item three, we are going to try to name Buster Only's mystery team. Buster Only of ESPN on February 14th wrote the following. An executive of a team generally perceived to be in decline recently shared that his front office's internal win projection was markedly better than what the media and even other fans think. Parentheses, by the way, this is not always the case. The executive explained that there are parts of the team not as well known in the industry as they will be in the months ahead. Now, I'm not sure how any team can really be like keeping such big secrets, but I want to know what team is this? So I'm, I'm trying to think through this. A team generally perceived to be in decline. Okay, that knocks out a lot of teams, right? Like it's obviously not the good teams. It's not the Dodgers, the Padres, the Braves, whatever. It's not really the the bottom end teams because, you know, the, the Pirates and Tigers and Orioles and whomever, they're not in decline. They've kind of been this way for a couple of years. So who had been good that you might think of as being worse? I mean, the two teams I think that jump out at me are the Cubs and the Red Sox, but I guess the Red Sox were already kind of bad last year. Like, who is this team? The, the, the teams that come to mind for me as possibilities would be, um, I think, the A's and the Nationals. Um, okay. As teams that, like, you know, their their projections are pretty modest. They're both, you know, I'm looking at the FanCraft standings projections, standings projections right now. They have them both um, at about as, uh, roughly 500 teams. I guess, you know, the, the Nationals last year were – I mean, the A's were very good. They were a playoff team, the 600 winning percentage. The Nationals were, you know, making the making the the, uh, the Nationals obviously won the World Series in 2019. Were below average last year, but that was sort of like, oh well, you know, short season weird stuff happens. So I think that they they both kind of fall into that bucket. Um, and you know, we just were we were just talking about the A's, but the more I think about it, the more I think of them as a potential team that like constantly kind of overperforms. So. <laughs> Um, it just feels like it always, it always feels like it could be the A's, you know, two years ago where they went in 98 games. Then last year they, you know, were 600, uh, 600 winning percentage. So they might be my, they, they are the nationals would be my guess. I'll give you those two and I'll, I'll stick with the Cubs and the Red Sox. I think the other team we need to at least mention is probably Cleveland because they traded away, you know, Lindor and they haven't done that much. And I think pretty clearly the third best team in that division behind, you know, Minnesota and Chicago. But I, I'm still fascinated by the idea that, there are parts of the team not as well known in the industry as they will be in the months. Like everybody seems to know everything. The only thing I can think of is they've got prospects who who didn't get to play last year, who were like really popped at the alternate site that didn't we didn't get to see, or they think they're about to have like five breakout relievers who haven't done anything yet. Or, or it could have been, and this is this goes back to my A's theory that like they he was speaking to an executive who knew they had a bunch of deals in the works, and we're like, oh. I know the projections don't look good for us now, but we're about to sign like a bunch of interesting, interesting relievers. And like, you know, this is like, basically we're about to look a lot better than we do because, you know, people aren't, weren't accounting for the fact they like significantly beefed up their bullpen. Um, but you know, who knows? It's fun. I, I it's fun to think about. Yeah. I think I'm going to stick with Cleveland just because what you might be right about the A's, but I don't think any of the guys, maybe Rosenthal that they got this week, like markedly moved the needle. And I think if there's one thing Cleveland has gained a reputation for, it's just like developing pitching out of absolutely nowhere. You know, like we know Bieber, obviously, at this point, and, and Plezak and Karen Check and all these guys, but it's possible that Cleveland thinks, you know, we've got these like six not top prospect arms, and we think our bullpen's going to be great, and no one else is paying attention to them. Um, and there's also, but, and there's also, and we've talked about Ahmed Rosario a fair amount on this, right, right, on this, on this podcast. There's like a, there's an, 
a, a non-crazy world where like he's worth almost as much as Francisco Lindor this season. Um, it's not like that crazy to think of one of the like Rosario being a three-win player and Lindor being a, a four-win player and both teams being satisfied with how the trade worked out for them in year one. I mean, the funny thing is I I know Buster a little bit. I could have just reached out and asked him, but I thought it'd be better for a podcast bit for us to <laughs> blindly you know, speculate about it. And also, we, even if he told us, we wouldn't have been able to see you know, He would have said you can't say it on the oh, podcast. That's probably, so, true you know. <laughs> that's probably true, too. All right. We will take a quick break and we will come back and we will talk about some players we're really excited to see and finish off with our purpose pitch. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. This is baseball-related, Matt. Does it warm you up on a cold, snowy day? You're darn right it does. Do you know what this is? I do know what this is. Oh, okay. I was hoping to surprise you a little bit. We are going to talk about... We're done with free agents. We're going to talk about players we're excited to see. That was a, uh, a delightful tune by a little-known musical artist, Yoan Moncada, who uh, recently released his first single. It's called uh, Disastre Personnel. And um, there's a video. If you, I don't know if you watched the video, but he looks extremely cool in it. You know, like he's got this floral shirt, uh, you know, and his, his giant arms are out and his cool sunglasses. And it just made me think about how much I liked watching Yuan Moncada in 2019. Like he had this real legitimate breakout season and you're like, yes, like this is the White Sox are going to be good. He's going to be a big part of it. It's going to be him and Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and Giolito and Tim Anderson. And then we obviously went through, you know, a, a pandemic season in 2020. And if you think about the guys who were affected the most by this, I think about Eduardo Rodriguez, who missed the whole season for Boston and Yohan Moncada, who was pretty open about the fact that, you know, the, the virus affected him a lot. Uh, his legs felt heavy and you can see the numbers like he didn't have a great season. And we all look at the White Sox as a team that, you know, they've added Lance Lynn. They've added Liam Hendricks. And this could be like the team this year. And while I'm excited about all those guys, what I really want to see the most is a healthy, uh, you know, vibrant Yohan Moncada looking like he did in 2019 and um, also coming out with more chill beats because I thought that was pretty fun. <laughs> Yeah, admittedly, Mike, I cheated a little bit. I was actually, I, I, I was like working with Jesse Sanchez behind the scenes on getting that story out. He uh-huh. actually sent me, he sent me the video, a copy of the video, like a, a week or two ago, being like, "Hey, I just got this from 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 a sneak peek from Mon- from Moncada's agent." Well, he sent it to me. He was like, "Do you recognize this person?" And I was like, "I do not recognize this person because, <laughs> like, like he just doesn't. I mean, he doesn't look like a ball player. He looks like a cool like singer. It's it's yeah. I, as far as like athletes as musicians." 
I was pretty impressed. And um, it made me think Moncada is even cooler than I thought before. I'm with you. Um, I've, you know, I'm bullish on the White Sox. I think that part of the reason I, I continue, like, I think that they have an upside on their roster that the Twins don't because of Moncada more th- as much as anyone, but even Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez as well. I think that there's just like, you know, a world in which all three of those guys are getting MVP votes. And I think that like they all have like another level or maybe even like Robert's level, t- on, in Robert's case, two more levels to go. And there's a chance that I, they have like a, a hundred win potential in my mind in a way that the twins don't. And so like, I think that for that to happen though, you need to get the, the Moncada of 2019 again, who is a really dynamic, exciting player. So I'm excited to to see him as well. Yeah, I, mean, I want I want it for the White Sox and I want it for baseball, but I also just want it for him. You know, like from a from a human health based perspective, because he looked like he was going to be capital letters the next big thing two years ago. Totally. Um, the player I'm most ex- most excited to see, um, or I should say, one of the players one of the players I'm most excited to see in 2021 is Randy Rosarena, because I think like I'm really. I'm a believer. I believe that like he's legit. Maybe not, you know, as insane as he was in the in the postseason. But I think it's like an interesting test case in terms of like when we t- think about Statcast and batted ball metrics and small samples of like when when are we supposed to believe, right? Because Rosarena is he's now basically so his he's had two kind of disjointed seasons. You know, he had a, a cup of coffee in 2019 with the Cardinals. He hit pretty well, but it was 23 plate appearances. And then he had 76 regular season plate appearances with the Rays in 2020 and raked an OPS over 1,000. And then in the postseason, obviously, he was, you know, ridiculous. An OPS over 1,200. He hit 10 home runs in 91 plate appearances. And there's still some belief that, like, oh, it was just a fluke. This is like a Shane Spencer kind of thing where, like, yeah, he might be okay, but, like, I'm not sure I believe in this. And, of course, he's also not young for, you know, a quote unquote prospect. And I think Rosarena, part of what makes him so interesting is because he maintained his rookie eligibility, he still like ended up on prospect lists this year and he's still eligible for rookie of the year. And when you look at the various people who do high profile people who do prospect rankings, you see a pretty, the biggest gap on any player is Randy Rosarena. I think our folks at Pipeline had him like at number 34. Keith Law had him about 40. Um, I think Kylie McDaniel at ESPN had him at 10. And Eric, Eric is it Longenhagen? Longenhagen. Eric, Eric Longenhagen at Fangraphs had him at four. So, like, to me, that's, like, a really fascinating um, look at sort of how people feel about Rosarena. I'm sort of inclined to be more in, like, the, the Kylie McDaniel top 10 range just because, like, if you look at the batted ball metrics for uh, Rosarena in the limited samples are very good, you know, well, you know, way above average hard, hard hit rate, expected weight on base average, all that stuff. And, you know, we're now going on 190 plate appearances across reg- two seasons and re- regular season and postseason, which is not a ton, but it's not nothing. Not to mention the fact that he always hit in the in the minors. And, you know, obviously you can always dream on prospects and you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't trade him for Wander Franco, although you're the Rays, so you don't have to trade him for Wander Franco because you already have Wander Franco. To me, I don't get far down a prospect list before I trade for a 26-year-old 26, 26 outfielder who I believe is a well above average hitter and has has, has demonstrated it. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I'm in with a caveat, like depending on what in means. I'm not in on him just repeating what he did in October last year because I don't think he's the best hitter in baseball. 
but I'm in on him being like a 25% above average hitter because it's it's not just what he did in October. And as you said, um, he had two, you know, he had a pretty good uh, regular season, not a lot of plate appearances, obviously, 76 plate appearances, right? But an OPS over a thousand and, you know, played in a handful of games for the Cardinals the year before, had a 135 OPS plus. Like I, I don't think you can fake this endlessly. And now I think I've seen enough and it was against really good pitching last year too. That, exactly. I think that's a great point is that it was the long, it was the longest playoffs ever. So it was actually an extended playoff against really good pitching night in and night out, which I think is, is worth, is worth mentioning. And that's the thing. It's like, so like, you know, obviously, you know, when they're prospects, they're still prospects. They haven't failed yet. Right. So like you could dream anything on, you know, uh, Julio Rodriguez or Jared Kalanick in the, and like, they're very well going to be star players, but like, if you ask the Mariners right now, let's let's assume, right? And again, this is this is still a bit of an assumption, but let, let's assume that we think Arena has established himself as a, you know, you said twenty five percent league average, one twenty five OPS plus for like you know the prime of his career. Very, that's a very good player. If you said to the Mariners right now, would you take that for clinic or whatever's behind door number one? And what might be behind door number one is you know Delman Young's career, right? Like, what do you do? And I think if you can have a prospect who becomes a one twenty consistent one twenty five OPS plus hitter, you take it. Um, I know this is not the point of what you were just saying, but since you brought him up, I'll have you know that Delman Young was pitching in the Australian Baseball League like three weeks ago. <laughs> he's still not. He's only thirty five years old. For, for for our younger listeners out there, Delman <laughs> Young was the clear cut number one prospect in baseball fifteen years ago, and he was. Okay. Number you know. one overall pick in 2003 by the yes. Devil And then like in his minor league numbers were insane. He debuted when he was 19. He was actually pretty good when he debuted, but then he just was like, you know, a slightly below average hitter for his career who had like one great postseason with like, was it with the Tigers? Uh, let's say yes. Um, I, think, I think he won like ALS, ALCS oh, yeah, yeah, MVP yeah, one year. He actually hit nine postseason home runs. But anyway, you can, you can, you can, there's any number of like, you know, hyped hitting prospects who just didn't pan out. And like, while, you know, you don't, you don't root for people to fail, you just have to know that that reality exists. And I think that like, to me, a Rosarina has demonstrated enough to think that like he should be ranked higher than almost anyone, anyone who's still quote unquote a prospect. But I guess we'll have to wait and see, right? I, I could be wrong. Yeah. I, I think um, the Rays didn't have a popular off season. And perhaps that's that's accurate in some ways, but I also think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch this year because I want to see Patino and I want to see Randy Rosarena. And, you know, the Rays always make it interesting. All right, we're going to finish off with our purpose pitch. That's where Matt and I each pick something and yell about. I'm going to yell at Mets fans. I guess that's not the right way to say it. It's also partially Mets media. I've seen a number of, uh, of stories and tweets about how Pete Alonso was bad last year or at least disappointing. And I, I can't get into this. I understand he was not the same as he was in 2019. Like, obviously not. But last year, he, if we'd played a full season and he'd continued the pace that he was on, Pete Alonso would have had 43 home runs. He would have been 23% above league average. I get that that's not exactly what he was the year before when he looked like he was going to be an absolute monster. Um, but if you look at all the underlying, you know, metrics, like his hard hit rate didn't really change. Strikeouts and walks are almost identical. You know, it's a little bit about the distribution of fly balls and ground balls and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But if you look at him, he was still pretty good. And everybody seems to be acting like he had this massively disappointing follow-up season. Uh, And I just, I just can't get into it. Like I know his batting average dropped by 40 points or whatever. I never thought he was as good as he looked in 2019. 
I didn't think he was bad in 2020. This is a guy who's, you know, a 25 to 30% above average hitter. And that's pretty good. I would take that if I were the Mets. Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's obviously there was, you know, he's never going to live up to the rookie year, as you said. He also started really poorly. And I think he was like really good in September, which it was sort of after I think the Mets had kind of fallen out of the race. So it's some of like, it was almost like discounted because it was like when the season began and, you know, in, in the, the sprint of the season, he was not very good for the first, you know, three weeks of the eight week season or whatever it was, but it felt like a bad season. And then he came on really strong in September when the Mets were kind of, kind of faded. So I kind of see it, but you're right. Like I think that, and I actually think that his season pace for 2020 is probably more in line with the hitter that he is, which is like, he's going to hit a lot of home runs, but he's never really going to hit for average. He's going to strike out a fair amount. So you're going to get the, you know, 250, 340, 550 line, you know, give or take with 35 to 40 home runs, which is a really good player, but it's maybe not quite what he did as a rookie. My purpose pitch is regarding the Shohei Otani two-way discussion. And my feeling is basically like, I don't want to hear about Shohei Otani as a two-way player. And it kind of pains me to say it, but it's just like, I'll believe at this point, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, there was like Joe Madden was talking about it in, in the Angels manager, Joe Madden was talking about this in spring training the other day. And I guess, you know, he's the manager, so he's got to be positive about it. So he was asked about Otani being um, pitching this year. And he said, right now I'm hearing full go. The reports I'm getting are really, really good. So I'm eager to watch it just like everybody else. Right now there are no limits. I don't want to build in Shohei rules, which, okay, I get it. You're trying to stay positive. Of course, just before we went on the air, uh, I saw the record. I saw uh, Jeff Fletcher, um, an Angels beat reporter, tweet that Otani threw a bullpen session of 27 pitches and he topped out at 90 miles an hour, which, again, it's spring training velo readings, but that's not promising. What's even less promising is basically the guy hasn't pitched in four years. In 2020, he pitched one point one and two-thirds innings, eight walks and three strikeouts. It was a disaster. 2019, he did not pitch as you were recovering from Tommy John surgery. 2018, he threw 51 and two-thirds innings and then got hurt. 2017, the year before he came to the United States when he was still pitching um, for the Nippon Ham Fighters, 26 and two-thirds innings because I think he had like an ankle injury. Um, it wasn't an arm injury, but it was still an injury that prevented him from pitching. So over the last four seasons, he's thrown a total of 80 innings. So I just don't see how you could rely on him to pitch at all. And the problem is like you can't rely on him. And yet when he does pitch, you actually have to change your entire pitching plan based around when he's going to pitch and modify the innings usage for all the other pitchers on your staff to sort of like build in this at best one start from Otani per week that will probably only be, you know, four or five innings. Meanwhile, he's actually raked as a hitter in the majors. He's hit 269, 340, 503 in over 950 plate appearances. His 125 OPS plus ranks 37th among the 196 players with more than 900 plate appearances in that span. That's better than the following players. Francisco Lindor, Matt Olson, Jose Altuve, Chris Bryant, and wait for it, DJ LeMahieu, among many, many, many other star players. Like, it pains me to say it because it would have been so cool. I was so excited to see um, Otani, the two-way player, but he needs to just hit. And I'm just, I think that like the quicker that happens, the better shape the Angels will be. And maybe they could actually um, teach him how to be an outfielder in the process. I'll also note that Pujols ranks, one, Albert Pujols, who basically is taking the DH at bats that should be going to Otani, um, or many of the DH at bats, obviously Pujols plays some first base, 
um, ranked 169th out of 196 on that list I just mentioned before. Well, I mean, look who you're talking to. I said they should have cut Albert Pujols like three years ago, <laughs> you know, and he's still out here. Um, I'm also pretty sure we talked about Otani a couple of years ago, and I think we came away with the idea we thought he'd be best used as a hitter. But there's still this small part of me that looks at the Angels and their inability to have enough pitching. And Are they ever at a position where they can just kind of cut bait on a potentially talented pitcher? You know, like they never have enough arms. And now that I'm like a little higher on the A's than I was a week ago, I'm probably going to pick the Angels to be third in that division, like again, like I do every single year. Like, I, are you feeling differently about them at all now? I mean, it's just, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt um, because I think it's just, maybe it's just wish casting because I want to see Trout, Mike Trout playing in the playoffs. Um, and the thing is, I actually, I, 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 but I think you're right. I think I'd probably take the A's just because they also have just constantly shown an ability to kind of like find wins where the Angels have been the opposite granted the angels have a new gm this year so maybe it'll be different but like it's hard to you know it's hard it's just hard to see it and the the thing about otani for me if i had any confidence that he could take the ball once a week and regularly give you innings give you give you even five innings i'd be all for it the problem is that like as i said like because of the unique his unique situation you end up having to like modify your whole pitching plan i think it like hurts the rest of your staff because like here's you're you're building around a guy who we're not even sure is any good, right? Like even last year he was looked awful, and you maybe give him the benefit of the doubt. Short, you know, weird season coming off TJ, but I don't know. It's 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 disappointing, but it was always gonna it was always gonna be a tough level climb to be a successful two way player, and we're really seeing it because this was like the guy who was best suited, best like the best best test case ever, and it really has not um, panned out at all. That is incredibly disappointing, and yet I think. I agree with you, but they're going to give him another shot. And I wonder if things will change if it doesn't work this year and Pujols is gone for next year. But I guess that's a next year problem. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We'll see you next week.